Heavenly Father, we give you praise for another, another Lord's Day, a day to praise you, honor you, worship you, study from your word. Father, we are very thankful that we live in the greatest country in the world. We're thankful for our freedom. We're thankful for the fact that we can worship and study without fear of persecution in this great country. We pray for our government leaders. We pray, Father, for your people across the globe. We pray for the sick, the hurting, the grieving, the shut-ins. Father, I pray that you will be with elders, preachers, people who stand for truth. Be with all your people, Father. Bless this study, Father. Help us continue to draw important lessons from the geography mentioned in the scripture. And help us, Father, always strive to become more and more like your son. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, good morning. Good morning, dear friends. Hope you are having a good morning. It is certainly a blessing to be able to continue to study the Word of God with you. This is the second to last class that we are having in our series of lessons entitled Jesus Walks. In this particular video, we want to talk about what is probably the most significant city that is mentioned in the Bible. This was a significant city in relation to God's people in the Old Testament, the people of Israel. It was a significant city to King David and King Solomon, the son of David. It was also a very significant city in the time of Jesus Christ. The city that I want to talk with you about in this particular video is the city of Jerusalem. I want to talk with you about Jerusalem. Jerusalem. Jerusalem is mentioned 667 times in the Old Testament. And it is mentioned 139 times in the New Testament. It is the most mentioned city in the Bible, obviously. It is especially significant when you study the Old Testament. It is mentioned over and over again in the Old Testament. Jerusalem sits in the hill country of Judah at an elevation of 2,500 feet. Understanding that is critical to being able to understand why so often in the New Testament, when people travel to Jerusalem, the writer always says they traveled up to Jerusalem. You travel up to Jerusalem. You could be in Samaria. You could be in Nazareth or Bethlehem or Chorazin or Bethsaida, and you would always still travel up to Jerusalem. Why would you always still travel up to Jerusalem, even though if you're in Nazareth, you're technically north of Jerusalem? Well, you always travel up to Jerusalem because of its high elevation, 2,500 feet above sea level. Highly elevated city. And it was a city that had many natural defenses. Many natural defenses. This is one of the reasons why King David chose Jerusalem to be his capital after he, was the, after he became the king. David strategically cho chose Jerusalem to be his capital because of its high elevation and because of its many natural defenses, in fact, speaking of David, 
For the next few minutes, I want to talk with you about the significance that Jerusalem has in connection to David. You see, before we can really appreciate and understand the significance of Jerusalem in the time of Solomon and in the time when Solomon would build the temple there, we first need to understand the relationship that Jerusalem has to David. Understanding that is critical to being able to understand many of the things found in the Old Testament. And so let me just begin by first saying that in the Old Testament, Jerusalem is often called the city of David. It is called the city of David several times in the Old Testament, several times in the book of Samuel, several times in the book of the Kings, several times in the book of the Chronicles. It is called the city of David because when David first conquered, when David first conquered Jerusalem, he made it his capital. It was his capital once he became the king. And it was built over a hill, built on a hill over the Gihon Spring that supplied water even in the times of siege. The spring still produces water today, though Hezekiah dug a tunnel to reroute it during its rain. And I was able to actually go through Hezekiah's tunnel. You may have heard of Hezekiah's tunnel, the tunnel that he did, dug during a time when Jerusalem was under siege. I actually was able to travel through that tunnel, and I'll talk with you about that maybe in more in our next video. Now, in David's time, Jerusalem was a mere 15 acres. It was walled with the protection of the Kidron Valley on its east and the Central Valley on its west. These are the natural defenses that I, were telling you, that I was telling you about. There's a reason why David selected Jerusalem to be his capital. Much of it had to do with the natural defenses. You had the Kidron Valley on the east. You had the Central Valley on the west. The only way Jerusalem could be attacked was from the north, coming over Mount Moriah. Now, Mount Moriah is significant because Mount Moriah is where Solomon would build the temple. Now remember, during the time of David, there was no temple. Israel was still involved in worshiping at the tabernacle, the, the, the tabernacle which was the portable house of worship. So when Solomon becomes the king, he builds the temple, a permanent structure, a permanent house of worship for God, and he builds it on Mount Moriah. Mount Moriah is to the north of the city of David. And before it was built, that was the only open line of defense, was from the north. In various stages of expansion, the city grew to the west, and the Hinnom Valley because it became its western defensive asset. It was a Canaanite city initially. The Jebusites and other Canaanites called Jerusalem, Jerusalem, which means foundation of the god of Shalom, Jebus, and Salem, which means city of peace. Now, if you remember from our study on the book of Hebrews and from studies on Genesis, the mysterious Old Testament character 
Melchizedek. He is referred to as the king of Salem, which means that he was probably the king of Jerusalem before it was conquered by the Israelites in the time of David. You can read about Melchizedek being referred to as the king of Salem in Genesis 14 and verse 18 and in Psalm 76 and verse 2. Another important thing to point out is in addition, in addition to Solomon building the temple on Mount Moriah, which was to the north of the city of David, Abraham took Isaac to the mountain of Moriah to sacrifice him. And so it is interesting how the temple, the temple was probably built on the very on top of the very mountain where Abraham offered his son Isaac. And it's even more interesting to consider how much of what happened between Abraham and Isaac foreshadowed what would happen with Jesus. Abraham gave his only son as a sacrifice, or was going to give his only son as a sacrifice. God the Father actually did give his only son as a sacrifice. Abraham offers Isaac right outside of Jerusalem. Jesus is crucified, offered up to God right outside of Jerusalem. Some interesting parallels when you stop and think about it. David's general, Joab, and Joab is mentioned throughout the Old Testament. He led a campaign to, co to conquer the Jebusite city, and David made it his capital for Israel. His stronghold, or palace, was in the northwest corner of Jerusalem, the highest point in the city. Now, why would he do that? Because, well, because if you're the king, you want to be as high up as possible. You want to be able to see at all directions. You want to be able to see an enemy approaching way before the enemy actually gets there. In ancient times, it was not unusual for kings to build their palace in highly elevated places so they could be well defended and so they could get a good view of all that was going on around them. God planned to build a permanent temple just north of the city wall in David's palace on Mount Moriah. When Solomon reigned, he expanded the wall city north to encompass Mount Moriah, extending the city to 37 acres. So another way we could say that is the city of Jerusalem in the time of David, which is also referred to as the city of David several times in the Old Testament, that city was expanded and made much larger when Solomon became the king. Solomon made Jerusalem an even more glorious place. He made it much larger. He even built the temple on Mount Moriah. Now here is, here is a, a wide shot of Jerusalem today, which includes the city of David, which was Jerusalem and, and when David reigned. I want to highlight a few things here. I want you to look at this carefully, okay? First, I want you to notice carefully the Dome of the Rock. That is that gold, that gold dome you see at the top of the picture there. Do you see that, that gold domed building? That is the Dome of the Rock. That is one of the most sacred places for the Muslims, for people who practice Islam. 
according to Muslim belief, they say Muhammad, their, their chief religious leader, he went from here, from this area, the Temple Mount, on a magical beast overnight to Mecca. This was, that area would have been his launch pad, according to Muslim belief. Now that area is also significant to Jewish people because that was where the temple was. That was the Temple Mount. And so not only was the temple destroyed in 70 AD by the Romans, but to add injury to insult, the Muslims, who the Jews can't stand, they built the Dome of the Rock there. And they're the ones who have the access to that area. The closest that the Jews can get is the Western Wall, which is also highlighted on the screen, and we'll talk more about that. The Western Wall is actually the last thing that still stands following the destruction of Herod's Temple in 70 AD. It is the second most sacred place for the Jews outside of the Temple Mount itself. You see also the Temple Mount. That's highlighted to the right of your screen. You see David's palace, which is highlighted within the red there. That red area is the city of David. That, is, that was Jerusalem when David was the king. Notice how much Solomon expanded the city once he became king, building the temple where you see the Dome of the Rock on the screen. David's palace is believed to have been at the north, the northeast corner. In fact, they have recently discovered, archaeologists have recently discovered what they believe to be, have been David's palace, which is at the northeast corner of the city of David. Notice also on the screen, when you look at the city of David that's in the red there, the natural defenses, the Heman Valley to the south, the Kidron Valley to the east, the Central Valley to the west. Notice the natural defenses. The only way during the time of David's reign that the, the people could have invaded them without have, running into any natural defenses was from the north, coming from Mount Moriah, where Solomon would eventually build the temple. So that kind of just gives you an idea of the contrast between the city of David and what would be the Jerusalem in the time of Solomon and even the Jerusalem that is there today. Now, I want to talk with you some more about the city of David, Jerusalem in the time of King David. We were actually able to visit the city of David. And this right here is a shot, uh, a wide shot of Jerusalem from the city of David. Or, or this may have been a shot coming from, no, this was from the city of David, I'm sorry. This shot is from the city of David, and as you see there, you see the Kidron Valley. Here's a better shot of the Kidron Valley, one of the natural, natural defenses. The city of David is, is very significant, maybe even more significant uh, to Jewish people than the modern city of Jerusalem uh, today. What you see here on the picture is what archaeologists believe to be David's palace. This is at the northeast corner of the city of David. They have found what is generally believed now 
to be the palace of David. This is a very significant discovery if this is David's palace because outside of the Bible, there is not a, a whole lot of, of archaeological discoveries we have that proves the existence of David. Obviously, we have the Bible and there are a couple of other things, but if this was his palace, this is a very significant discovery. What you see there, and this is a view from David's what is said to be David's palace in the city of David. What you see there, if you can get past looking at the filth, if you look at the little holes uh, that, are, that are there on the picture, those are actually tombs. Uh, this is an area where there are a lot of dead bodies. Here is another view from uh, David's palace. And I'm showing you this view because notice the elevation. Notice how from here you're looking down. You're looking down at the city. You're looking down at houses. You can even see the rooftops of houses. That's how highly elevated the palace was. Now, why is that significant? Well, if you remember, in the book of 2 Samuel chapter 11, the Bible says that during a time when the kings went out to battle, David was on his palace and he looked down. He looked down and from the rooftop he saw a woman bathing. He saw Bathsheba taking a bath. This was the wife of one of his mighty men, Uriah the Hittite. And instead of turning away, praying about the situation, and resisting the temptation, David gave in to his lust. And he called for Bathsheba. He laid with her. He got her pregnant. And in addition to, and in, in an effort, I'm sorry, to try to cover up his sin, he first tried to make it so, to make it look like the child was going to be Uriah's, but. When that didn't work, he then set up Uriah to be killed in battle. And so David was started out as lust from the top of his palace, eventually led to sexual immorality, and then that eventually led to murder. But I'm showing you this because when we were there and we're looking down, we couldn't, all of us can help but think about David and how he looked down from his palace. And that's how he got to look at Bathsheba. So there's the pros and the cons to having a highly elevated home or a palace if you're David. Yes, you can see everything going on around you. Yes, you can see enemies approaching long before they, you get there. But he also was in a position where he saw a beautiful woman bathing and he caved into temptation. So that's the city of David. And I, and I really want you, as you go through your Old Testament, keep reading it. Notice how often it's mentioned and, and understand that it was a much smaller version of Jerusalem than what you would find in the time of, of Solomon. Now let's fast forward in time and let's conclude this video by, by talking more about the city of Jerusalem in the time of the first century, about a thousand years after David. I want to talk with you about the temple in Jerusalem. Particularly, I want to talk with you not about Solomon's temple. But I want to talk to you about Herod's temple. 
I want you to talk about the ruins of Herod's temple, the ruins that resulted from the destruction of Jerusalem by the hands of the Romans in 70 AD. Now, when you study your Old Testament, if you recall, there are three constructions of the temple, really two mentioned in the Old Testament, but three history tells us. The first was the construction of Solomon's temple. With the aid of his father, his father helped gather resources for him. Solomon was able to lead Israel to an era and a time where there was no longer going to be tabernacle worship. No longer would God be worshipped in a portable tent. Instead, he would be worshipped in a permanent structure, a permanent house of worship, which would be the temple. David wanted to build a temple, but God told him, no, you're not going to do it. You've shed too much blood. Your son, a man of peace, he's the one who's going to build a house for me. And so it was the will of God that Solomon build a temple, and David, being the humble man that he was, he was okay with that. He, in fact, helped gather resources, and he helped make provisions for his son to be successful in this. Solomon built the temple during his reign, and the temple of Solomon's day is one of the great wonders of the ancient world. It was a marvelous, expensive structure. But unfortunately, because of Israel's idolatry, this temple would be destroyed in the late 6th century. It would actually be destroyed by Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians. In addition to taking the people of Judah into 70 years of captivity, the Bible also says that Nebuchadnezzar destroyed Solomon's temple. Now, after the 70 years of captivity were completed, the remnant of Jews that were able to go back to Jerusalem, they would reconstruct the temple. That would be the first thing that they did. They would reconstruct the temple under the leadership of a man named Zerubbabel. Now, the temple that was reconstructed during the time of Zerubbabel wouldn't even come close to the temple of Solomon's day. And all the Jews knew that. They understood that. It would get them by. It would allow them to continue worshiping God, but it would not come close to the glory of Solomon's temple. And then following the defiling of that temple by a Hellenistic king named Antiochus Epiphanes, the temple would then go through another remodel or renovation, and it would be done by Herod the Great. Yes, him again, Herod the Great, the same Herod who tried to kill Jesus as a small child. In the first century, one of the great building projects of Herod was his reconstruction of the temple. Now, I'm going to put a lot of things on the slide here, and if you can't write all this down, that's okay. Make sure you're getting copies of the outlines, because on the outlines that we're putting out, you have all this information on there, and you have maps that can help you in your further study. So please, please make sure you get an outline and, and, and have this stored away somewhere. You have maps, you have information. I promise you it's going to help you. Herod the Great, he lived from 74 B.C. 
to 4 AD. As I stated on numerous occasions, he's called the great because he was a great builder. He was great for his building projects, including Caesarea Maritima that we've studied, Masada that we've studied, and the temple in Jerusalem that we're studying right now. Herod's temple was an expansion and renovation of the temple that Zerubbabel had finished. Jewish critics feared that Herod was building the temple to make himself great, but Herod claimed his motives were to please the Jewish people. In fact, Herod himself had been proselytized. He was from the people of Edom, but he wanted to be a Jew. He was someone who had been proselytized, it appears, and he wanted to please the Jewish people. The Jewish people couldn't stand him, though, and he reasoned that Zerubbabel's temple looked too much like a fortress. It didn't have the size or grandeur of Solomon's temple, and he was right about that. So, and so what he was doing, in essence, is, was, is he was restoring the temple, temple to the proper dimensions while enhancing it with better infrastructure and with the best aesthetics. The construction slash renovation project of Herod began in 20 BC, and it was only completed about six years before Jerusalem's demise. And so once it was finally finished, only six years later, it would be completely torn down by the Romans. Herod enlarged the temple complex to cover 35 acres. It was a massive area. He added the court of the Gentiles. Maybe you've heard of that before. Well, that was actually added, something added by Herod. It was a secular place where the merchants of the temple gathered. Understanding that is important to understanding what Jesus saw when he entered the temple in John 2, when he saw merchants turning his father's house into a place of business. To really be able to appreciate what's going on there, you got to really understand the court of the Gentiles and this place that was on the temple where they had been added to the temple complex where the merchants of the temple would gather and engage in business, sell uh, the animals for, that the people needed for their sacrifices because usually people didn't want to travel with the animals, especially if they're coming from long distances across the Roman Empire. Usually Jews would wait until they got to Jerusalem and buy their animals there and this is when the merchants of the temple area will make the most money. In fact, Jesus even says that they were cheating people. A flight of steps led up to an area reserved exclusively for the Jews, and so the Gentiles could only go so far. Herod's retaining walls for the foundation platform still exist. Herod quarried large stones to be the foundations. The largest building stone found in Israel is actually in the temple foundation. And again, you can get all this information on the outline if you get you a copy of the outline. The western and southern walls of the Temple Mountain have been excavated since 1968. Cisterns have been discovered that fed water to the second temple. Also, several mikvahs have been excavated. These were ritual baths outside the temple that thousands of worshipers will immerse themselves in to be ritually pure and then proceed to the temple. Huge underground cisterns fed these. Now, why am I telling you about that? Well, 
It wasn't until I realized this and saw this with my own eyes that a passage like Acts 2 verse 41 it really made a lot of sense to me. If you remember in Acts chapter 2 and verse number 41, after the apostle Peter preached the gospel for the first time in its fullness on the day of Pentecost in the city of Jerusalem, the Bible says that 3,000 people were baptized. 3,000 people repented of their sins and they were baptized. Someone says, well, how do you get enough water to baptize that many people? My friends, when you go to Jerusalem and when you go around the temple complex, you see there were a ton of places to baptize that many people. These mikvahs were all over the place. These places where Jews would go and engage in, in ritualistic baths to purify themselves before going and offering their sacrifices. There was water all over the temple complex. There would have been plenty of water, plenty of area to baptize that many people. They could have baptized 10,000 people on this occasion if they had to. Plenty of water for immersion. This really made sense to me for the first time when I was able to see the mikvahs around the temple complex. Another thing I want to point out is how a stone with the following inscription forbidding Gentiles, and you see the hostility with Gentiles here, from entering the temple's inner court has been discovered. It said no stranger is to enter within the balustrade around the temple and enclosure. Whoever is caught will be responsible to himself for his death, which will ensue. In other words, don't come in here if you're a Gentile. We don't like you. We don't want you near here. If you come in here, don't be surprised if bad things happen to you. The giant stone blocks from the top of the, the giant stone blocks, I'm sorry, from the top of the wall, which were thrown down into the streets by Titus troops, in 70 AD were found where they fell. The street was crushed by the impact. And I'll show you those stones in just a few minutes. One more thing I want to share with you is the Western Wall Complex is also known as the Welling Wall. I mentioned that earlier in the video. It's called the Welling Wall because of the many tears shed and prayers offered by the Jews. Written prayers are placed in any crack or crevice in the stones. It is an important pilgrimage site, and every year Jews pray that the temple will be rebuilt. And if we're Christians and we understand our New Testament, we know that it's not. Jesus said that it was going to be destroyed. Not one stone will be left upon another. And the thing about us as Christians that really separate us from the Jewish mindset as far as those who practice Judaism is we don't put our faith in physical places. We don't put our faith in the city of Jerusalem or the temple mount or the physical temple. Instead, we know as the church, we are the temple. We are the Lord's temple today. And we are looking for a spiritual place, a spiritual Canaan, a spiritual Jerusalem. We're trying to get to heaven. Our focus is on the spiritual city of God, not the physical city like those who practice Judaism put their faith and trust in. Now, let me just show you a few pictures here, and that's going to be the, the video. Here is a map, and it's, Jerusalem can be a very confusing city to try to figure out, especially when you're trying to figure it out in the time of the first century, in the time of Jesus. And so here's a map uh, that I think does a pretty good job of highlighting 
where different things were in Jerusalem in the time of Jesus. I want to show you a few things here. First, notice at the top of the screen, okay, you see something called the Antonio Fortress. You see the Antonio Fortress. The Antonio Fortress is believed to have been the place where Jesus appeared before Pilate. Jesus would have met with Pilate probably in the Antonio Fortress. I want you to also look at the house of Caiaphas towards the bottom of the screen, the blue dot, the house of Caiaphas. Remember, I told you I visited the house of Caiaphas uh, on the trip. I gave you a class on that. So notice where the house of Caiaphas is in relation to the Antonio Fortress. Then you get an idea of how far Jesus is walking from the house of Caiaphas to go out and, 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 and appear before Pilate. Notice where the western wall is in the center of the map. That is a sacred site for the Jews today. It is the last thing still standing from the destruction of Jerusalem and the temple complex, the temple, the temple and the temple mount in 70 AD. Notice Golgotha, another blue dot towards the top of the map on the left side. Golgotha, that's where Jesus was crucified. Golgotha is right outside of the city of Jerusalem. And so Jesus would have probably traveled from the Antonio Fortress out to Golgotha bearing his cross, and Simon helped him as well. And then notice the temple itself. Notice the temple itself. Notice the court of the Gentiles. This was the temple where the temple was until it was destroyed by the Romans, and then later the Dome of the Rock would replace, would replace it as far as the location. Now, here is what we saw at uh, an Israeli museum, a great museum in Israel. This is a, a, a model of Herod's temple and really the city of Jerusalem itself. Uh, to the right, going to the upper right would be where Golgotha is. To the upper left would be where Caiaphas' home, is, uh, Caiaphas' home was. You got the temple. Uh, this is a great model that kind of gives you a, a good feel for how Jerusalem would have looked in the first century. This right here is the Western Wall, the Wailing Wall. As you can see, uh, people who practice the Jewish religion, to them this is a sacred place. They come there, they pray, they write prayers, put them in. Uh, the cracks of the wall, they read scripture, they worship, they pray that the temple is going to be rebuilt one day. I'll put these guys on here because do you see the, the things that's, that's wrapped around their arms? You know what those are? Those are phylacteries. Remember Jesus told the, the Pharisees that they went around, went around with their phylacteries on, appearing to be so holy, but inside they were spiritually corrupt. I'm not saying these guys are spiritually corrupt, but I'm just saying that when you think of a phylactery, that's a phylactery what these guys are wearing. This is a picture of me, my Washington Redskins shirt, and we're not the Washington Redskins anymore, so I can't wear that shirt again, but this is me getting to touch the Wailing Wall. And the only way I could do that is I had to put one of those little hats on. They don't let you get near that wall unless you have a little, one of those little hats on. Uh, I think they're called yarmulkes. Uh, but I had, to, I had to wear one of those 
You see this guy right here, he's reading scripture, he was praying. Some people come out there and sing songs. This is a sacred site uh, for those who practice the Jewish religion. These right here are 2,000-year-old steps. These are the south steps that lead to the court of the Gentiles, where the court of the Gentiles would have been. These are probably the very steps that Jesus would have taken to enter into the temple complex. What you find here is the temple cistern. They led water into the temple. They led water to the mikvahs. Remember I told you the mikvahs were places where Jews would engage in ritualistic baths of purification once they arrived in Jerusalem and before they offered their sacrifices. Uh, because of all the mikvahs, uh, it would have been plenty of places to baptize 3,000 people, according to what we find in Acts chapter 2. Right here is the southwest corner of the Temple Mount. Uh, these right here are the stones of the wall that was constructed by Herod. These are the result of the destruction of Jerusalem in 70 AD. These were the stones that crushed the streets of the city when they were knocked down. By, from the top by the Romans. They're still there 2,000 years later. They are a reminder that Jesus was right. Jerusalem was destroyed. It was destroyed and not one stone was left upon another. Now that's the, what I want to share with you concerning Jerusalem. And there's so much more I could have said, but Jerusalem is such an important city. I cannot overemphasize the significance of Jerusalem when it comes to studying the Bible. Jerusalem was a city conquered by David. It was made his capital. It is called the city of David several times in the Old Testament. Later on, Solomon expands the city significantly, and he builds the temple there. The temple is then, that temple was then destroyed by the Babylonians. It is re rebuilt by Zerubbabel and a group of, of Jews who had returned from captivity. That temple would then be reconstructed by Herod in the first century, but then it would be destroyed by the Romans in 70 AD. It's a very significant city in the Bible, but like every other city that is mentioned in the scriptures, it will be destroyed when Jesus returns with the rest of the world. And so we have one more class to, in this series, and then we're going to start some new material. In our last class, I just want to kind of go through some miscellaneous things with you, just kind of show you a few other things I was able to see in Israel, and hopefully it'll tie everything we've talked about together. But thank you for studying with me.